The United States women's national team are World Cup champions to the great surprise of nobody. Brazil won the Copa America and Gabriel Jesus had a little temper tantrum. And the United States men's national team lost to Mexico after Greg Berhalter subbed in a left back needing a goal. Then we talk about one of the worst games in history. Buckle up. This is Deadball Brothers. Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer history with a healthy dose of stupidity. My name is Adam Whitaker Snavely. With me, as always, my real life brother, your favorite Manchester United fan, Drew Snavely. You're really, that's the credential we're going with every single time now. Yeah. 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 Just uh, a always suffering Manchester United fan. I'm, I'm into it. You are everybody's favorite Manchester United fan and everybody's least favorite athletic writer. Yes. That's, <laughs> that is who's hosting this podcast. Yes. You're, you're the least favorite. Yes. I'm the most favorite. You're the most favorite. Okay, cool. That yeah. makes sense. It's established. Yeah. You got a phone way sooner than I did when we were kids. So, well, you know, mom and dad probably loved you a little bit more. Well, you were the trailblazer, so thank you. <laughs> Just like Portland. <laughs> Just like Shouts Portland. Shouts out to Dame <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, Drew, man. the United States Women's National Team are World Cup champions. And Tell me how you feel. Tell me oh, how you feel. Oh, man. They, well, first of all, I want to congratulate the the women's national team for an incredible tournament um, where they beat opponents into the dust not as much as we would have liked to see uh, on some of the games uh, but uh, most of the time they had everything under control in spite of poor tactics and not playing your best player on the team (laughs) but uh, who am I to, to judge I am just a peasant uh, watching watching the game not on the sidelines or <laughs> at the field or have any sort of coaching pedigree outside of a U12 team. So, uh, yeah, C- congrats to Jill Ellis and the, and the ladies. Congrats they to Jill Ellis, the two-time. Pay those, pay those women. Pay those women, equal pay. Yeah. Man, the best part, honestly, the best part of the entire thing was Gianni Infantino coming like walking onto the field and everybody in the stadium starts booing him yes. first of all oh and then goodness. second of all everybody starts chanting equal pay that was incredible it really was incredible that was a cool that was a cool world cup moment for sure yeah that was very very interesting yeah um lindsey horan didn't play in the final oh, so which is so whatever mad, i guess so mad for her but <laughs> she deserved to be out there but i don't uh, wait hey. Jill Ellis had other ideas. Jill so. Ellis had other ideas. I mean, we walked away with the W, so... We did walk away with the W. And it, it probably won't be talked about. And Rose Lavelle went out there and got her goal. With the sauce. With the Yeah, absolutely. The Skyline Chili Sauce. The she's ch- from she's from Cincinnati. Oh, so uh, gross. It is so gross. <laughs> no, no, no. The, uh, the Cooligans had her on and uh, had her on their podcast. Oh, and, really? And Alexis was just, like, flaming her about... Skyline Chili, oh, and no. she was upset. She was oh, like, no. Skyline Chili is delicious. Uh, Roosevelt, no, you're a great player, and I'm sorry that you have trash food opinions. <laughs> uh, if you're ever on this podcast or we ever meet for some reason, um, I will stand by that. It's just a result of where you grew up. It doesn't it's really not have anything to do with, with you as a human being. Um, and I get defending your hometown. I mean, we defend the garbage plate. Being from uh, from upstate New York, if you're if you've never heard of the garbage plate from Western New York, Rochester area, let me let you win. 
hamburger, cheese, macaroni salad, <laughs> ketchup, mustard, usually hot sauce, onions. What else do you put on there, Drew? Everybody's got their own little flavor. You know, I... I mean, some home fries usually. Yeah, some yeah. Potatoes. You always have to have home fries in there, and the the entire loaf of bread that comes with it is usually a, a, a nice plus. bonus. But yeah, it's probably not in the same league as Skyline Chili. But you I've never mix it tried all it together on the plate, and then you dive in. Oh man, there's it a looks reason. Like trash, and it makes you feel like trash. <laughs> there is a good reason. It's called the garbage but plate. <laughs> it is delicious. It is, man. That is a taste of home right there. <laughs> So shouts out to the, uh, the the U.S. Women's National Team. Shouts out to Ashlyn Harris. Your Instagram content oh my is goodness. everything. I think I said on Twitter, it's incredible. Like number two off the bench, number one in our hearts. Yes. First ballot Hall of Fame in our Instagram story. Yes. Oh my goodness, her her stories were immaculate. It was, just perfect. It was I definitely crazy. got a little like tripped out watching Mal Pugh and Rose Lavelle drink. Yeah, because they both. Because because they're both like Rose Lavelle is like twenty three twenty four Mal yeah, Pugh I think she's Mal, Mal Pugh is twenty one yeah but it was I, like because we've all known and seen Mal Pugh been playing with the United States national team since like she was seventeen yeah and so we're just like everybody's like you're gonna put that online huh and then like everybody, there was a collective Wikipedia search and we're just <laughs> like oh it's cool it's fine it's cool yeah I definitely didn't have the concern with uh, Rose but when I saw Mal drinking putting back those Budweiser's, I was like, oh. Throwing back some Whoa. Bud are you mm. Are you 21? But she is. It checks out. Um, not going to get in trouble. But also they're in France where the legal drinking age is 18. So it doesn't really matter that much. I don't think anybody would tell on her. Yeah. I mean, you just want Actually, no, I know that Cup. I know that some people would tell on her. Probably a lot of the people that are unhappy about the United States Women's National Team. <laughs> well, those people can shove it. Because... Our girls did it. Politics. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, our girls did it. I mean, uh, end of the day, they did it. I don't think Jill Ellis is a good coach still, but she's a two-time World Cup champion, so. It was expected. It was expected. It was expected to be the toughest yet, but this was the first World Cup win that the U.S. had where they haven't needed extra time or penalties at any yep. stage in, in the tournament, yep. I believe. And never lost a game. And yeah, never lost a game. So never, never lost a game. Never drew a game. They gave up what one, two, three, two or three goals the entire time. Yeah, very little lockdown D. Becky uh, Sauerbrunn, Abby Dahlkemper. Oh, Becky Sauerbrunn with her with her Brian McBride moment. Bri- Becky Sauerbrunn did have the Brian McBride moment. It was incredible. That's how you knew it was a real American final. And no foul called on her. Blood is gushing down her face. And the referee just puts up her hands. I didn't see anything, which obviously the referees, it's like the number one rule of thumb. (laughs) If you don't see it, you can't call it. That is is exactly what they say. It it was tough to see, but. um, That statement's going to come into play later. Oh, oh, just you wait. Very good. Um, So proud of you, ladies. Congrats once again. Congratulations to the United States Women's National Team. You guys deserve everything that you get and more um, that you currently get. So if you are more interested in watching uh, more of the United States Women's National Team, uh, it's in the middle of the NWSL season right now, and almost all of them play in there. So maybe you should go out and support your local NWSL team. Yes, yes, absolutely. Support the women's game. Real quick. Moving to South America, Brazil won the Copa America. Oh, yes, they did. Gabby Jesus had the immaculate hat trick, goal, assist, red card. <laughs> <laughs> he hit for the cycle. It wouldn't be a Copa America without drama. 
and you know. and he then he had it. He delivered. First of all, Gabby Jesus sauce. This the final, he played so well. Yeah. The assist on the opening goal, the finish on on the the go ahead goal uh, to well, actually no, it wasn't the go ahead goal because Peru had tied the game up. So yeah, it was a goal to restore the lead right before halftime. He's playing so well, and then sixty. I believe it was Seven, the 70th minute. Was it the 70th yeah. minute? I was going to say it might have been the 69th minute. Nice. It would have been nice. <laughs> it's still pretty nice. It's still pretty nice. <laughs> Gabby Jesus had that uh, had that that red card and then proceeded to destroy everything in his path, including almost the uh, the video assistant review. Oh, completely knocked it over, if not for, for that one savior that was nearby that kept Ready. it from hitting the ground. But Ready to catch it. I think it. I think we should say that it was a soft red. So it was a. It was a second. Second yellow. yellow. Yeah. And so the challenge. I mean, it wasn't a good challenge. And no, it was definitely. It was you a have definite to be smarter card. when you're on when you're on a yellow. Um, but yeah, it's it's no. I'm sure it doesn't feel good to to have to leave a game because of a red card in a final of a major yeah. tournament. Yeah. You, especially when Brazil hasn't won anything. Uh, in his in his playing career with the team, nope. Uh, so. Their first major trophy since, well, unless you count the Confederations Cup as a trophy, which I really don't. Um, I mean, the if level you, of competition is high, but yeah. If you count the Confederations Cup as a trophy, then they last won. Did they win? Before, did they win two thousand seventeen? Mm, I don't know. No, no, because they weren't the Copa America champions. Surely were they weren't even there. Um, two thousand thirteen. They won the the Confederations Cup before they hosted. Whoop! They beat Spain. <laughs> um, but if you're not counting that, then they're, it's their first major trophy since 2007 when they won the Copa America. Man, a long time. Yeah, a very long time. Uh, but shouts out to them. It's good to see Brazil on top. Good to see Brazil on top. Man, U.S. Women's National Team, Brazil. That's a good week for us. Yeah, two out of three. And then if we could just completely forget about the United States uh, men's national man. team, it would be ideal and perfect. But we can't. We can't, we can't we forget can't. about the game because as disappointing as a result it was to, to go out in the Gold Cup final against our arch rivals, Mexico, um, we, yeah. knew that, we knew that there was a, a disparity between, between the two teams. I mean, Mexico essentially had their B team out there, and we had a lot of key guys out there for us. I think, um, I think that it was probably like an a minus an a minus team yeah we were missing we were missing a few people tyler yeah. adams and john brooks most notably we were missing those two people those are those are two big ones to miss yes it's not quite the same as missing vela chicharito chucky lozano hector Herrera. yeah <laughs> like, yeah they like, had a lot of a lot of key guys that weren't there but yeah basically and it's a story of uh, it's the u.s actually had ideas in the first half they were doing some good things plain direct um josie altador and christian pulisic clearly were the people that if if you need to take anything away from this game it's that christian pulisic is good like you don't have to question whether he's good or not christian pulisic is definitely very good also josie altador still very much has a part to play in the 2022 world cup cycle yeah they definitely had a, a very good connection yeah uh Josie was holding up the ball really well, drawing defenders, and Christian Pulisic was was exploiting the space that was left. The irony, of course, being those were the two people that also got the wide-open looks at Mamo Ochoa uh, and 
Christian Pulisic hammers his shot directly into Memo Ochoa's stomach. The, angle, the, the angle was worse for Christian Pulisic. The angle was worse from, for Christian, but he was also closer to goal. Yeah. Josie Altador, actually, it Pick was your a, spot, man. Josie Altador, it, <laughs> was a, your spot. it was a freaking fantastic move to get himself it, three. Yes, yes, it was an incredible touch. Left foot did not put it on target. Yeah. You got to put it on target from probably, what, 15 yards away? A little bit yeah. further than the I'd like spot. to think that it took a bad bounce. and <laughs> Pretty sure it was just rolling on the ground. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was it the, the field? It was just grass. There, it wasn't turf. Um, was, was it grass? Was it turf on? It was grass at on turf? Soldier Field, so it was grass. It was just grass. Fairly certain. Okay. Because um, I don't know, like sometimes the the playing surface can be a little uneven. And you have those inopportune, those inopportune bad bounces at the moment where you want the perfect bounce. <laughs> yeah, you are correct. But he had control of the ball. He, I mean, he. He was dribbling. He was one on one with the keeper. I mean, there you got to you got to you can't it. blame that on a bad bounce. No, you got to finish. Yeah, you got to finish. Both that. of them. I, I mean, like Christian Pulisic and Josie Altador probably had the best games, uh, especially attacking wise. Probably the best games of any American. But they both, uh, Josie especially, should have finished. Yeah, I think that. I mean, like at the end of the day, like that is just how it goes, and sometimes a game ends up like that. Um, second half, not good. Quite bad no. for the United States. No. They realized, Mexico realized that Uriel Antuna was not doing anything at Tim Ream. Yes. Uh, which is a problem because clearly, if you are going to go up against somebody and you have somebody that's like very quick and very fast, like for example, Pizarro, who, <laughs> who was playing on their left side yes. and really like. Reggie Cannon was doing a good job, but he, he was down. starting to get free. Yeah. And they were like, wait a minute. What if we just put him on the big, tall, white, <laughs> slow guy? Man. And it made a big difference. Yeah. End of, end of the day, actually, the, the goal was the goal was very good goal. Yeah. The goal wasn't, like, the worst goal to give up. It was super good play from Raul Jimenez. It was a very nice finish from Jonathan Dos Santos. Um, yeah. Goal was actually Weston McKinney's fault, mostly. He failing did, to trip, trip did back. not track. Jonathan Dos Santos won the ball that he was contesting with Weston McKinney in midfield. Yeah. And Weston McKinney just failed to track his run. Yeah, I think the boys are tired. Um, I, mean, I mean, they're not any more tired than Mexico is. I mean, yeah. But once you're tired and your quality of play is lower than your opponent, you're both tired, but that's when the quality really, I think, comes out it's similar to like the u.s women's national team like they're running teams into the ground they're also tired but when both teams are tired like you don't have you don't have those tryhards anymore that are, can run after every 50 50 ball and and go hard into every challenge uh mexico started winning all those and uh, that's true the u.s was was folding under the pressure the, the high press for mexico uh, yeah and well i think i think that difference in quality very much came out when the U.S. started making subs. Yeah, when Jossie's artist came in for for Josie, I mean that completely took away the. It's time. It's time. <laughs> That's my phone told me. <laughs> it completely took go. away the the hold up play from the U.S. Yeah, um, and then you was the there was the Christian Roldan sub, which Berhalter said 
was to give us more possession. Possession-based sub. Did not work did at not all. Did not at all. There was Daniel Lovitz, which was our last sub down a goal with yeah. about like 10 minutes left or so. Left back for Tim Ream uh, to give us more width. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen. I would have been more okay with the Lovitz sub if that happened before the Roll Dawn sub. And then we use the Roll Dawn sub for... A more attacking mind, an actual winger. Yeah, an actual winger. Tyler Boyd, because Jonathan yeah, Lewis, Tyler Boyd, both of them just sitting on the bench. Definitely comes to mind. Did like Tyler Boyd steal Greg Berhalter's lunch money or something? <laughs> I don't know. He had like, a gr- he had a good tournament up. And... He had a good he had a good group stage. He didn't have a good game against Curacao. He yeah. got subbed off against Curacao, never to be heard from again. Yeah, like he disappeared. Yeah, got put on Shutter Island. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's walking around with him. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh man. I don't know I don't know what happened. I, I I feel okay. I think exact my exact phrasing of it was um three weeks ago I was legitimately embarrassed to be a fan of this team. Now I'm just kind of disappointed. Yeah. Um which is an improvement in some yeah. sense. Yeah, it really um, is. and I think that there are I think that you did see that the people could play the system. They were getting more comfortable with each other with Greg Berhalter's tactics. There's still room to grow. The player pool definitely still needs to improve. We need guys like Josh Sargent and Tim Weah, Paxton Pomichol, and more like Chris Gloucester, Sebastian Soto. We need a lot of those people to hit. Yeah. We need a lot of those prospects to yeah. turn out, um, especially a bunch of those guys from a very good USU 20 World Cup team. Yeah. Um, and I also think we need Berhalter to get better in terms of his like in-game adjustments because you saw it a few times in this tournament, he was getting out coached. Yeah, he was. I think he got out coached in all of the knockout stage games he played in against Curacao, against Theodore Whitmore in Jamaica, and then again against Tata Martino and Mexico. Yeah, all the teams <clears throat> seem to have either a better game plan or adjusted adjusted incredibly well. Jamaica and Mexico specifically, when adjusted the US, so US well. came out very, very good. Yeah generated a couple of chances and everybody's like whoa this is crazy and then both jamaica and mexico make an adjustment all of a sudden everything kind of becomes much more difficult for the united states and berhalter didn't really have an answer for that no i think that i mean he'll hopefully get better with time and experience at the national level yeah um and hopefully there will be more buy-in to the system the system trademark symbol because uh, you saw improvement from the from the men's national team, you definitely did, uh, and and you saw them become progressively more comfortable in that mm-hmm. system until the Mexico game when their possession based style of play didn't couldn't work because they couldn't get past the Mexican press. Yeah, there was only there were only a couple of players that were good enough to to make the turns and and see the space that they needed to get past what Mexico is throwing at them, namely Christian Pulisic, Josie Althador. Paul Areola has the right ideas. He just doesn't have, like, the physical ceiling to yeah. complete them so often. Yeah. Jordan Morris, I don't know what Jordan Morris did this entire <laughs> game. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, yeah, I think a big thing, too, is that the United States men's national team seemed to buy back in to this idea of the unit, the group. You saw West McKinney and Josie Altador, people really sticking up for each other on the on the field, which is good. But at the end of the day, that's not what wins you games. Yeah. So you have to execute. You need both. Got to <laughs> yeah. execute. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think it's time to transition to story time. Yeah, that sounds great. 
we'll take a break and then we will Adam will come back with a story Shoot. tell me and all of you skirt Adam, you have a story for me and for any one of our, uh, all of our lovely listeners. So please, tell us, tell us a story. Drew and adoring podcast listeners, all of our family members, Mm. a few friends. We just went over 100 followers on Twitter, so uh, if you follow us there, what's up? Much love. We just finished with the Women's World Cup, and undoubtedly, one of the biggest storylines to come out of it was VAR, its use. Oh, yeah. Rather controversial in several situations. Yes. Yes. (laughs) To say the least. He said, with much trepidation. (laughs) So I started looking back in the archives at other controversial World Cups, referee... Uh, acknowledgments and different technologies and things and I came upon a story oh we're gonna go on a little bit of a journey great I'm buckled in I'm ready I'm ready to go man buckle it in let's do this buckle in on the left hand side because the driver's side is the right hand because we start in England baby oh all right Kenneth George Aston the most British sounding person to ever British (laughs) Was born on September 1st, 1915 in Colchester, Essex County. Mm. Colchester is the a, most English <laughs> most named English town to ever English. <laughs> yes. Uh, Colchester is a, I mean, today is a, fair, it's a small city. It's okay. like 100,000 people. It's okay. like Lynchburg, Virginia, yeah. Yeah. where we currently are, if you didn't know that. Fun fact about us. He graduated from St. Luke's College and became a teacher at Newberry Park School in 1935. And soon thereafter began to work as a referee at football games. Side note. Soccer. It's called soccer. It's called soccer. (laughs) Fight us. (laughs) He qualified as a referee in 1936 and began working as a linesman, um, eventually become a center referee, but he did a lot of his early refereeing work as a linesman. Um, He had to take a break from refereeing because um, a big thing called World War II happened. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess he, it's a little thing. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a kind of it's like the whole world. All of your stories revolve around the world wars. Well, there's been two stories so far, and there were two world wars. So <laughs> checks out. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he uh, he had stints with the Royal Artillery, um, and also the British Indian Army. Um, he was like an officer for. This is a then this is a colony thing again, like British Empire type of yeah. at the time England controlled uh India, yes, um, yes. which is why a lot of Indian people uh, have tea time, yes, to this day. Um, there's actually a lot of uh, the British Indian Army during World War II had like 2.5 million people in its force, like it was a massive fighting force, it's pretty big. They were like picking up the slack in Africa while the allies were trying to figure out how to get back on Europe. And um, they actually had a, a few, like, regiments in Europe as well. There was actually a, a pretty big, like, um, kind of backlash against Dunkirk, um, okay. the movie. yeah. Because there were, in real life, 
there were several Indian units that were helping. Yeah. Um, and there was nothing but white people in the film. Uh, uh, so people were like, hey, what about this? And everybody was like, mm, mm, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, representation. It matters. It's important. It is important. <laughs> British Indian Army, you did a, a wonderful service, um, even though that you were kind of compelled to do so by the British Empire. They didn't really have much of a choice. Mm, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was pretty... it was technically referred to as a volunteer fighting force, but I wonder how much of a volunteer. Of yeah, this. we can continue. Yeah, though. we can continue. Yeah. Um. So he, Aston returned after the war, um, to refereeing league football matches in England, 1946, um, as well as he would eventually take up the headmaster position at Newbury Park School in 1953, um, and he ultimately worked there for around 20 years, doing uh, really well for himself. Doing really well for himself. Where do you go, Ken? Ken. This is when Aston began what became a long career of trend setting and innovation for referees. Okay. Um, first, um, Aston changed the fashion of refereeing forever. Um, up to that point, referees in matches looked like cricket referees. Okay, what does a cricket referee look like? They were wearing blazers, like oh. like light tweed blazers with like a button-up dress shirt and either pants or knickers so essentially like a like a manager for a a big time club yeah except they're running around the field yeah with the players which is which is hilarious to picture very proper game apparently i want i want them to have like a little straw hat (laughs) oh god offside (laughs) pip pip Okay, um, so. so up to that time, that's what they were wearing yeah. on the field. Dress shirts, French cuffs, like Oof. doing it. Yeah. Um, but when Aston got back from the war, he saw at a war surplus store a couple of these kind of light, shiny black bomber jackets that had a bunch of pockets. And he was okay. like, the pockets? I can use those while I'm refereeing. <laughs> so he kept the white shirt with a collar but he wore, started wearing the black jacket and then paired it with black shorts to match okay. and black socks. And pretty soon, like, this caught on as the referee look. Like, this is what referees began to wear all the yeah. time. So this is where, I mean, you still see, obviously now there are other colors that referees can wear. A lot of the times they wear yellow, orange, I've seen green, and black. Those are, like, kind yeah. of the, the highlighter colors plus black. Um, but he was kind of the person who started them wearing things that looked closer to what the players were wearing yeah as opposed to looking like he was going to a horse race yeah or a wedding i don't know what they wore at those times (laughs) i'm kind of hoping that this story turns into a um the beginning of a designer just full fashion full fashion brand (laughs) we're gonna take a hard left on you (laughs) i'm sorry i apologize okay um so he also pioneered another referee thing that he did the use of brightly colored linesman flags okay so yeah usually the home teams provided the flags but the flags were always in the colors of the home team oh no so one color would be one the primary color one color would be the secondary color oh man and there was one game where the fog was so thick that aston couldn't see the flags that the lines were holding because the home team's colors were beige and chocolate oh no (laughs) i was gonna say even just a matter of blending in with the rest of the crowd. Yeah. I mean, you're literally waving the same exact colors all the 
like the thousands of fans that are at the it game. It wasn't smart. No. <laughs> Nobody accused them of being this like having great ideas. Aston went to a store, got two jackets, one bright red, one bright yellow, cut them up, made two flags, never had a problem again. Nice. And thus the super bright colored referee flags were born. From jackets. From jackets. Wow. Rain slickers. Nicely done. Um so Aston kind of began becoming known for as as a respectable referee he was experienced he had like pioneered a couple of things um he began coming into prominence as a referee in england um fifa managed to get the world cup up and running again they had had been on hiatus for world war ii yeah makes Uh, sense but the uh the 1954 and 1958 editions were both held in europe uh because they just were and basically the entire western hemisphere of the world threatened to boycott the event if it was just going to be like the europe club and it was always going to be there and they're like you have to host it they basically told people like we won't come if you don't host it in north or south america yeah like you got to give us something if you're going to have the world cup yeah and so fifa was kind of like okay um also, they super didn't want teams to boycott because Brazil was the defending World Cup champions. Um, Brazil had just won in Sweden in 1958, thanks to Garincha and a 17-year-old Pele. Pele, yeah, I was going to say. The beginning of his reign. Um, Garincha, great name, by the way. Little yeah. bird. Um, so they decided that they were going to probably host the tournament in South America. The three countries that bid to host the tournament, West Germany, because Germany was just like, we could still do it, because of course the Germans <laughs> said that. Yeah. Obviously the Germans yeah. were going to say that. Yeah. Argentina, and people thought that Argentina had a really, really strong bid, um, because Argentina already had a lot of infrastructure in place. Um, and basically the, the Argentine um, FA president was, was essentially, his big pitch was like, we could host this tomorrow. Yeah. And that, I mean, strong. Strong I feel pull. like that's England's pitch every time. Yeah, the World Cup and, the United States, and the United States and Germany. Yeah. Like, yeah. But back then. But back then, that's a big deal. That's yeah. super, especially for South America, that's a super big deal. Yeah. The last country to bid for it, Chile. Chile was a definite underdog, but they ran a surprisingly strong, like, kind of underdog bid, and they actually managed to win the rights to host the World Cup in 1962. Wow. Now, part of them getting that was we have to build some more stadiums. Like, we have to... There's infrastructure in place. There's already stadiums, but we need to build some. Yeah. So they're in the process of that. And then, um, in 1960, the Valdivia earthquake strikes Chile. Oh, no. It is still, to this day... The most powerful earthquake to ever be recorded. On the Richter scale? In human history. It's technically the moment magnitude scale, but it is um, the numbers are equivalent to Richter scale numbers. Wow. Um, it was registered between 9.4 and 9.6. Goodness. Um, it was so huge that it created a tsunami that devastated Hilo, Hawaii. What? That's so far away. Yes. Wow. Um, that is crazy. Estimates are, are actually really varied. I've seen a report saying that as many as 50,000 casualties occurred from the earthquake. Okay. Um, definitely somewhere between 1,000 and 7,000 people died, for sure. Okay. Um, and 
destruction, the like the cost of the destruction was between four hundred and eight hundred million dollars adjusted for inflation. That would be somewhere between three point four and six point eight billion. Yeah, that's that's a a large chunk of change. But that didn't stop FIFA from saying we're still gonna have the World Cup here. That is crazy, <laughs> honestly. That's like if FIFA, uh, if like Japan was hosting in, uh, a World Cup immediately after their yes. huge earthquake and, a, and tsunami and like partial meltdown of a it's nuclear plant. Almost exactly like that. That's crazy. So FIFA pushed forward the plan to host the World Cup in the country um, in 1962. World Cup opened. There were only three venues originally. There were supposed to be six or seven, and everybody, almost everybody's stadiums got destroyed. Are we drawing connections to like the Qatar World Cup in 2022 from this? Or I mean, maybe not? you could. Maybe you could a little bit. Like a humanitarian crisis. <laughs> or, I maybe, don't know. Who knows? <laughs> no, this isn't a politics podcast. Everything is politics. <laughs> asterisk, asterisk. Um, so there were only three venues and three host cities because they were the only stadiums and places that you could have it. Wow. So there was uh, a stadium in Arica. There was a stadium in Viña del Mar. And in Rancagua, which is just south of the capital of Santiago, uh, the stadium in Rancagua, 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 you got it. Sure, sounds good. Um, was actually run by an American like copper mining company. Oh, cool! <laughs> and they, they were like, "Yeah, you can use it." <laughs> <laughs> Typical Americans. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Chile was drawn into a group with West Germany. Switzerland, and Italy. And the entirety of the country came to despise Italy with every fiber of their being. Why? Well, Drew, let me tell you. Okay. Two Italian journalists of the name of Antonio Ghirelli and Corrado Pizzinelli. Man, you just hear those names and your fingers start to... Yeah, well, like Italian. an inglorious, inglorious <laughs> Antonio Magaretti. Magaretti. Antonio Guerelli. Dominic de Coco. <laughs> Apologies to any Italian people that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> We're so sorry. They had basically spent the weeks leading up to the tournament just trashing the country of Chile Ugh. in their papers. Um, which sucks, first of all, because they were still obviously trying to recover from literally the worst earthquake ever. Yeah. Um... And also it sucks because, like, it just sucks. Like, I was like, oh, that, that's a crappy thing to do. Um, here are some of the things they said in their dispatches to the paper back in Italy. Ugh. The phones don't work. Taxis are as rare as faithful husbands. <laughs> a cable to Europe costs an arm and a leg, and a letter takes five days to turn up. Chile's people are prone to malnutrition, illiteracy, alcoholism, and poverty. Chile is a small, proud, and poor country. It has agreed to organize this World Cup in the same way as Mussolini agreed to send our Air Force to bomb London. They didn't arrive. Oh, my goodness. This country and its people are proudly miserable and backwards. What? Are you serious? Uh, this yep. is real life? That's real life. That's what they, that's what they ran. The, the journalists say that their, uh, their reports were, like, changed or that somebody, like... Like, it must have been our editors or something like yeah. that. Like, I think the most hilarious line out of that entire thing was, 
It's as rare as a faithful husband. Oh <laughs> yeah, there was oh, oh there was a, a bunch of like. Of course, Italians would say something like that. Yeah, basically they were bashing us. The entire country is like this country is a backwater that is nothing but like prostitution and disease and poverty. Oh. And and the Chilean people found out. <laughs> yeah. Um, surprise! They found out. They weren't happy about it. Um, the two journalists were actually forced to flee the country before the World Cup what? actually began because um, the heat was so much on them. <laughs> good, good for those Chileans. Good for the Chilean. Yeah. Well, I'm firmly team Chile in this. Get those Italians out of here, man. Um, Chilean papers, they hit back, describing the Italians as fascists, all a part of mafias, drug addicts, and oversexed. Ah. <laughs> It's all coming together now. It's all coming together now. (laughs) Um, To compound matters, um, in the first game of the group, Italy drew with West Germany, and Chile actually beat Switzerland. So Italy needed a result against Chile to advance. Okay. Um, And also, finally, this World Cup was already a mess on the field. The first eight games of the tournament resulted in four people being sent off, Three broken legs, oh. a fractured ankle, a few cracked ribs, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Oh. <laughs> Are you serious? I can't I, believe you put that in there. I mean, it's... It, it, <laughs> I was going to say, wow, that's crazy that so many people got hurt, but that all got wiped away as soon as you started making Christmas song references. The Daily Express said that the tournament shows every sign of developing into a violent bloodbath. Reports read like Battlefront Dispatches. Jeez. Uh, it's still like 1962. You're still kind of in like the Wild West of soccer, really. Um, the World Cup is just starting to take like real importance. Yeah. Um, we're only 12 years removed from the United States making it to the semifinals. Oh, yeah. The men. Or, the yeah, men making it to the, the semifinals. The men making it to the semifinals. Was, it 19, was that 1950? I know 1950 was the year that we beat England. Yeah, actually, I, I think it was. I think it was nineteen like thirty or something. Was when we. Yeah, we can fact check it. We later. can fact check that later. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's besides the point. It's beside the point. It's not even part of the but story. It, this was back when uh, game of soccer was essentially a game of Super Smash Bros. Oh yeah, on, on your N sixty four. Oh yeah, oh, people man. are people are charging up those forward smashes. Yeah. They are ready to kick. Oh, gosh. For Chile versus Italy, a massive pro-Chile and equally anti-Italy crowd packed the stands. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Um, the players were clearly ready to get, go to each other's throats. And FIFA needed a strong, experienced referee to try to handle this mess. And who was it? Our guy. An Englishman named Ken Aston. Ken. Our guy, Ken. Get Ken in here. They got him. Only Ken can handle this. The first foul occurred 12 seconds into the game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before the match made it to the 10th minute, Aston had to send off his first player. What? Italian Giorgio Farini was sent off after he felt he was fouled by Onorindo Landa and responded by whirling around and kicking him as hard as he could. What? Um, Were these Italians coked out of their minds? (laughs) Who does that? It was it was just like this is the World Cup. <laughs> it was it was a it was a bloodbath. This isn't dude. your Sunday night men's league <laughs> where you can actually do something man, like that. Oh man, Sunday night men's league. <laughs> I remember I remember I remember this like 40-year-old dude trying to pick a fight with like 21-year-old Justin Sherwood in a men's league game once. 
He was just like, how many how many sectional titles do you have? Like, like I won a sectional title my when I was a junior in high school or something. And Justin's like, I have more section titles, sectional titles than you have people that live in your town. <laughs> All right, uh, that's <laughs> enough about Justin Sherwin. Uh, Aston sent Farini off, but Farini refused to leave the field. What? Um, he was apparently angry about the fact that. Um, a, a minute or two before, Chilean uh, midfielder Leonel Sanchez had punched Italy captain Humberto Maschio and broken his nose when Aston wasn't looking. What? <laughs> so he didn't get punished. Both these teams are coked out of their minds. Because as we know, if the ref doesn't see it, yes. you can't call you it. You can't call it. I just, this is like... No I, VAR. <laughs> no VAR here, No consequences. Uh, it's just like, it's, oh man, how... As a referee, how do you like turn back around? You just see a guy's nose clearly broken, <laughs> and you're not you're still not calling anything. I don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. Um, the police had to come in and escort him off, and this wasn't like a regular police; it was like military police. Oh uh, yeah, that was oh. actually the the picture that I put up on on oh. Twitter and Facebook. It's like a crowd that of like crowd. twenty, yeah. like it's all policemen, and then. Giorgio Farini of Italy. Oh my goodness. That is trying to not leave the field and they're all, like herding him off. All the other Italian players are like, ah, oh, it's not me. <laughs> not me, man. <laughs> not for me. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, You're uh, on your own, bud. Yeah, it's like this very, yeah. yeah that, all that was less than 10 minutes into the game. Wow. Okay. Um, the game was, was awful. Yeah. Uh, basically, if you went to the ground, you're getting kicked. Like, people were going for extras constantly. The Chileans proved to be, like, the better provocateurs. Um, they were very much, like, fouling and, like, kind of goading the Italians into fights. Yeah. And, like, like, big reactions. Cheap shots. That and... then Aston had to, like, enforce. Yeah. Because the Chileans were being, like, way more sneaky about it and, yeah. and all that stuff. Um, people were spitting on each other, they were scratching, kicking, poking, like, it, it was, it was bad. Um, at one point, um, Italian Mario David kicked, um, Leonel Sanchez, who, of breaking the guy's nose fame. Yes. Um, several times while Sanchez was on the ground, he had the ball in the corner. What? Um, Sanchez responded by getting up and hitting him with a left hook that appeared to knock David out cold momentarily. <laughs> Sanchez was not called for a foul. What? <laughs> he wasn't called what for a foul. What is our guy Ken doing? I don't know. I don't know what our guy Ken was doing on Maybe this one. Maybe it was pretty foggy out there. Is, there it wasn't. There's actually video <laughs> of this part. I, there's video highlights. Um, we need to like, put that on our Instagram or something. It's just clearly like he. this guy gets kicked several times and he stands up and then he just clocks the guy. Like, it's, it's, so, it's so obvious. Um, it should also be mentioned here that Lionel Sanchez was the son of a professional boxer, and uh, he was playing like it. Yeah, seriously. I was uh, going to say, it's like an octagon matchup. Aston insisted his back was turned at the time. <laughs> hey, can't see it. I can't um, tell you how many lazy refs have said, I didn't see I it. Didn't, I didn't see that one. I didn't one. see it. I can't call it. <laughs> Can, uh, minutes later, with Sanchez contesting the ball, um, Mario David flew in out of nowhere. He is like horizontal to the ground. He is trying to stick his studs into Sanchez's head. Like it's so clear and obvious. He just fly. You just see him like Superman flying in with his a karate kick to Lionel Sanchez's head. Sanchez immediately managed to duck out of the way. Um, Aston had no choice but to send off Mario David yeah. after that because it was clear Seriously. he was trying to impale uh, Lionel Sanchez. Um, 
Are they forcing... playing any soccer up to this point? Is the ball kind in of not play? really? <laughs> After Italy went down to nine men, Chile then managed to score two goals. Oh, uh, good for them. Um, <laughs> oh, good for them. Um, I think actually Lionel Sanchez assisted on the first goal. It was like a free kick that they headed in. The second goal was actually a banger that Chile scores. It was like it was like a thirty yard rip. I was like, oh, okay, mm. all right, okay, Chile. Better than a fresh sack of mozzarella. <laughs> mozzarella. <laughs> In the end, the Chileans won the match 2-0 and advanced to the knockout stage of the tournament while the Italians were mathematically eliminated. Big mm. oof. Uh, Chile lost their first knockout round game against the Soviet Union. It makes sense that Aston couldn't see everything on the field considering yeah. all the carnage that was occurring. Um, but the question is, how did his linesmen not see what he missed? Yeah, I was going to say, because the linesmen are behind the play. I mean, they always have... Their, their backs are never to any part of play. Right. So they should be able to see everything that's going on. After the game, Aston said, I was stuck with a Mexican and a little American. They weren't very good, so it became almost me against 22 players. Now, <laughs> shake head. I'm just shaking my head <laughs> SMH. right now. Just blame the American. The little American in question was actually an immigrant by the name of Leo Goldstein, who was... A Holocaust survivor. Uh, he good for him. Was <laughs> way to go. He was literally on his way to the gas chamber at Gosh. a concentration camp when a bunch of Nazi soldiers asked if anyone could ref a soccer match that what? the guards were having, and Goldstein volunteered despite the fact that he said he had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. Um, he was like, "Yeah, I can do that," and he saved his own life. What? Um, by doing that. Um, ref some soccer games thereafter after he moved to the United States after the war is over Um, the theory as to why or how Goldstein might have been unwilling to tell Aston what was happening um, was that maybe it was because Goldstein was not being a very was not a very experienced referee and he kind of got into this position because of his incredible story yeah um Reparations, man. Well, I kind of wonder if he wasn't a fan of the Italians. Oh, yeah. I'm... Honestly... You gotta wonder. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to wonder that long. I mean, he has every right to be... He's just just standing there because, like, he's just standing there and he sees a Chilean guy punch an Italian guy. He's like, nothing happened. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. Yeah. I mean, that's the least he's... Yeah, seriously. That's the least he's owed. Seriously. (laughs) Uh, after the match, the vitriol didn't stop. Italians were banned from Chilean bars and restaurants. <laughs> um, Italian newspapers were endlessly critical of Aston. Yeah. Much later in life, uh, Mario David, the Italian defender, said, I remember that one journalist in Italy called him an unmentionable English vermin, and I totally agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> and I concur. I concur. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, hey, our guy Ken was out there doing his best. He he was doing you his, know. It, it wasn't good. It, his best wasn't good enough, but he was doing his best. I mean, Chileans get feisty. Italians get feisty. I mean, in, it in went a, a little bit beyond feisty. In, yeah, in a soccer match, I mean, in a, in a World Cup, tensions are already high. Without all that added drama that you've previously mentioned, so. Um, especially back in the day when you could basically get away with everything but murder on a soccer field. And sometimes even murder. And sometimes even murder. It's not surprising. Definitely that, assault. That's yeah. something 
like this happened. When highlights of the match were broadcast in England, presenter David Goldman gave an absolutely iconic intro to the game um, that was being broadcast on BBC. Um, that is the definitive description. And he said, and I quote, Good evening. The game you are about to see is the most stupid, appalling, <laughs> disgusting, and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. This is the first time the co these countries have met. We hope it will be the last. <laughs> <laughs> the national motto of Chile reads, by reason or by force. Today, the Chileans weren't prepared to be reasonable. The Italians only used force. And the result was a disaster for the World Cup. Oh, my. If the World Cup is going to survive in its present form, something has got to be done about teams that play like this. Indeed, after seeing the film tonight, you at home may well think that the teams that play in this manner ought to be expelled immediately from the competition. Yeah. <laughs> That's a headline. Was that a headline, or was that no, just he was, a No, it was like oh, a video. Okay. Because they were showing, they were showing yeah. the, 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 the game on TV. Um, despite the criticism overseas from many corners about his refereeing of the game. Yeah. Um, Aston continued to be a respected referee in England, and he was eventually made head referee of the 1966 World Cup in his home country. Nice. Um, during that World Cup, Aston became aware that after a game between England and Argentina, uh, player Jack Charlton had been unaware that he was booked. Referees had always been able to give cautions and send players off, but language barriers at competitions like the World Cup could prevent players from understanding exactly what a referee was trying to tell them. Um, driving home one day, Aston came up with an idea based on traffic stoplights. He realized that the bright colors, like the ones that he used to create linesman flags, could clearly communicate to players if they were being cautioned or sent off, and the traffic light colors made as much sense as any. A yellow for a caution, and a red for a sending off. Yeah, I, I've actually um, I've I read about that game a little bit. I saw you light up a little bit. You're yeah. like, oh, I know where this well, is going. Well, it's, a, it's um, the fellow that you mentioned, Jack Charlton, mm -hmm. is the brother of Bobby Charlton. Of course. Manchester United legend. 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 <laughs> legend. Uh, and I'm actually pretty sure that Bobby Charlton got cautioned that game too, and he was also unaware that he was – cautioned because there was no way of effectively telling players right like hey the referee just had their book yeah and they would write stuff in it you're cautioned which actually is is fun it's kind of a fun way to think about because like i've always thought now like watching a referee write down like yellow cards in his book and i was like oh that's quaint like why do we even do that anymore when you just like you know like somebody can register it in the computer later yeah but it's where it comes from because the book was always there but the yellow and red cards were not. Yeah. Uh, Ken Aston went home and explained the idea to his wife about the colors, his wife Hilda, in their house one day. And the story goes that Hilda immediately went to another room, cut out two cards from red and yellow construction paper that nice. she had um, that could fit in a man's shirt pocket. And thus, red and yellow cards, Ken Aston's most enduring legacy, were born. Incredible. Uh, Ken Aston continued to be an educator, referee, and enthusiast for the sport for many years. After the 66 World Cup, he was the head of all referees for the 1970 and 1974 World Cups. Um, in 1974, his last like major innovation, he also introduced um, number boards for players being substituted during a game. Oh, He was one awesome. who also came up with that. Yeah. 
Uh, later in life, he helped run soccer camps in America and was chief instructor for the American Youth Soccer Association. In 1997, he was awarded the most excellent order of the British Empire, which is a British order of civil chivalry. Whoa. Uh, rewarding contributions in the arts and sciences. So nice. now if you look him up, he's Kenneth George Aston, MBE. Ah, but not Sir Kenny. Not Sir. Nah, not Sir Kenny. He wasn't yeah. knighted. It's too bad. And he died on October 23rd, 2001 in London. Wow. Wow. Talk about a legacy. I mean... Dude was doing it. So much of the modern game today... I mean, red cards, yellow cards, and... I mean, even something small like throwing up the numbers for substitution. That's like... That's big time. Linesman flags. Yeah. Referee uniforms. Especially since the uh, inception of uh, video assistant referee... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yellow cards and red cards are being handed out at a higher rate than they ever have before, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, because players just get away with less. Yeah. Because literally, they, Cause you can see it. Big Brother is always watching you. And it all came from a referee who did not handle a World Cup game very yeah, well. Yeah, man. They, they came to refer to the Chile versus Italy game as the Battle of Santiago. <laughs> the battle? The battle. Oh, no. That's uh, yeah. The police had to go onto the field like four times total. That is ridiculous, man. <clears throat> Just to break up fights and to make sure people were were safe. That is crazy. Wow. Well, I'm glad that he survived that. Yeah. He... Let this be a lesson to you guys. Uh, just because you're not doing well at a thing, first of all. Uh, such as like the first episode of our podcast doesn't mean that it can't blossom into something beautiful and timeless like this the third episode of our podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh man gosh that is so yeah that's the story of uh ken aston and the battle of santiago that's crazy honestly i i kind of wonder if i mean it's pretty smart of ken to to just card only Italians. I know that there was <laughs> stuff from from the linesman about not seeing stuff, and maybe there's a little backstory there. But, I mean, that Wait. dude, like, if he had sent off a Chilean, like, are the police protecting you? I mean, you're in Chile. It's the I Chilean police. I don't, like, I don't know if they're protecting him. I mean, I, you have, like, tens of thousands of Chileans, most likely, that wants you wants your head and i mean it wouldn't be the first time that uh i mean i don't know if a referee's ever been murdered in cold blood uh but i guess it's not cold blood if there's a reason for it but um i mean there have been players before that have been murdered oh yeah because they're they messed up in a world cup here's a here's a are we are we playing this on the? the I mean, it's a it's it, I'm, I haven't muted, but it's this is some of the highlights um, with. Uh, That's crazy. The, the, I can't the, believe they had the film crowd back of then. people escorting off Giorgio yeah. Farini. That's ridiculous. It's it's literally Honestly. like fifteen people. Yeah. It's which is it's just funny to me. It's like they're they're herding off a sheep. Yeah. Oh, this is this is one of the punches. So this is the Chilean guy with the ball. Yeah. Okay, so the Italian guy definitely kicks him. <laughs> he just like gets up and Why blocks him. The linesman is right there. Yeah, he's, he's right in front of he's him. He's two yeah. feet away from him. Yeah. Um, if, if if you guys get a chance, uh, look then, YouTube search Italy versus Chile World Cup 1962, uh, the Battle of Santiago. You can you can watch. It's like a four minute video. 
Watch you can this. see some of these nasty challenges. Where we have, Adam has them playing right now. Um, and these are like, <laughs> I mean, dudes are getting kicked in the head, punched in the head. I mean, it it is absolutely ridiculous. What's hilarious is that he like he literally tries to kick him in the head clearly, and then yeah. he gets up and he's like, "What I do?" <laughs> yeah, the classic soccer player. What? Nobody's ever guilty. I didn't do nothing. Nobody's ever fouled anybody. Yeah. Well, is that's it? That's it, my dude. That's it. That's wow. a story I have to tell you. That's a, that's a great story. I, I'm really glad that that you told it, especially in light of um, just. The modern game and how prevalent yellow cards and red cards. Where we're at in the referee yeah. sphere. It literally, ne- the argument never ends. Should we have VAR? Should we not have VAR? I'm pretty sure everybody's on board with having yellow and red cards. So I mean, <laughs> I don't like, think anybody is in favor of getting rid of those. Yeah. I, I think our guy <clears throat> Ken really crushed it with that. It was like such a simple idea, but it's something that hadn't existed at that point. Like Somebody had to think of that. And so I'm sure if he hadn't, somebody would have come up with something else along the way to represent a caution and like you yeah. being just kicked out completely, but it could be completely different than a yellow and red card. And that's just kind of funny to think about. As always dead ball brothers. If you'd be kind enough to drop us a rating, uh, a review would also help. Uh, if you want to follow us, we're on social medias as at dead ball pod, pretty much everywhere. Um, if you want to follow me personally, you could get a subscription to The Athletic, or you could just follow me on Twitter with, at, at Snaves, S-N-A-V-E-S. If you want to follow Drew. I'm not very active on Twitter or really any social media sites, uh, but I will favorite or retweet likes occasionally. So I'm at Drew underscore Snavely. Um, but you should definitely give Adam a follow, Dead Ball Brothers a follow. Uh, we're always pumping out terrible content. So you should just trash content for your mind holes. And we are just here to provide that for you. Yes, we are. Yes, Uh, we are. Thank you to those who are listening and to following along. Thank you to everybody that has followed us so far. Uh, Super appreciate you. Um, And uh, we will see you next week, my dudes. Yes, a story from me. A story from Drew. A story from me. And a kiss from me. Uh, I don't know about all that. Good night. Good night.